Our reading today from the New Testament is taken from 2 Timothy, a shorter reading today, 2 Timothy 8 to 13. Paul writes to Timothy, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again together. Father, as we approach you to hear your word, we pray, O God, that you would speak to us with a living voice, that the author of Scripture would now empower our hearts and minds to hear the voice of God. And we pray that you would sanctify us and make us clean with your truth. And now, Lord, may the words of my heart, the words of my mouth, and the meditation of all of our hearts today, O God, may they be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our only redeemer, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we continue our study today in 2 Timothy, I want to look at three ideas that are conveyed by the Apostle Paul to Timothy that serve as certain beacons to help us to find our way as individuals in this world and that will help us to find our path as a church. And uh, in chapter 1, we saw that Timothy had been through some very hard times. Timothy is very tempted at this point in his life uh, to give up. He's been knocked down in ministry. He's kissed the canvas. to put it in boxing uh, terminology. And Paul is right there. He's Timothy's corner man, and he's beckoning Timothy to get up, to stand up, to keep fighting, to bob and weave, to roll with the punches, and eventually to win, to win the match. And so these three thoughts that I want to pull out from our passage today um, are crucial in our own understanding and how to win the fight that's ahead of us all. And these three ideas or three thoughts come uh, in chapter 2 between uh, verses 8 and 13. And the first of these is chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And it's clear to me that the greatest temptation for any believer in this life, and certainly for Timothy right here, the greatest temptation is to forget Jesus Christ. To try to be a Christian without a Christ, which would really not make us Christians at all. It would just make us Ians. Um, And we may not do it deliberately. It can happen um, just to us all of a sudden that the person of Christ is no longer in our focus, in our day-to-day living. And when Christ is not in focus, the resurrection and the promise of glory is not present to us 
And when the weight of the promised glory is not present to us, then all the difficulties of the Christian life, the distress, the hardship, and the promised tribulation, these become almost impossible to bear because we no longer see our trouble in relationship to the resurrection. Remember Jesus Christ, Paul says, risen from the dead. The joy of the Christian is that the risen Lord Jesus Christ has become Lord of all these things. Well, what things, you ask? He's become Lord of tribulation. He's become Lord of distress and Lord of persecution and Lord of famine. He's become Lord over nakedness. He's become Lord over danger and Lord over the sword. And these things, all these things, they now bow to Jesus. All of these troubles. And so now, as Paul writes in Romans 8, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. But Paul reminds Timothy not only to to remember Christ as the Lord of the resurrection, but now he remembers, uh, he asks Timothy to remember Christ as the Messiah. Jesus Christ, he says, risen from the dead, and now the offspring of David. There's a lovely line from uh, Hanley Mool. H.G.C. Mool was the Bishop of Durham uh, towards the end of the 19th century. And Mool says on this verse that Christ is the heir of all the predicted mercies. Heir of all the predicted mercies. God made a promise to Abraham that his descendant, singular, as Paul notes in uh, his epistle to the Galatians, that Abraham's descendant would be the locus, the place of the outpouring of all of God's blessings. In your offspring, God said to him, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And all of the Old Testament promises, all of its predictions of glory and of blessing and of health and of gathering and of restoration and joy and freedom, all of these find their fulfillment in Christ. That's what the Messiah means. He is the heir of all of the predicted mercies. They will all become true to him. And being joined to Christ by faith, what Calvin says, the indissoluble bond of the Spirit, because he is heir of all of the blessings predicted. Joined to Christ, we now too are heirs of all the predicted blessings and mercies of God. Every good thing in Scripture is centered upon the mediator. And Paul now reminds Timothy to fix his eyes on Jesus always as the resurrected one who makes sense of our troubles and as the the heir of all of the predicted mercies the seed of David. But the mediator is also the one in whom the promises of judgment take place. Because God, as Peter says to Cornelius, 
has not only appointed, uh, appointed Jesus to be Messiah and Savior, but he's also appointed Jesus to be Messiah and judge. And Paul reminds Timothy now, as we'll see in a moment, that God will deal with all the troublemakers in the church. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Number one, remember him. Secondly, Paul reminds Timothy that the word of God does not share in our human incapacity. Paul is fettered. Paul is chained in a Roman prison. He's weak. He's limited. He can be detained. Paul can be refrained. Paul's capacity to perform is clearly insufficient. But Paul says, the word of God is not like me. The word of God doesn't share in my limitations. The word of God, Paul says, it can't be fettered like I can. It can't be put in a Roman prison. No man or woman can control it. Once uttered, the word will go forth and it will do what it wants to do. And the word will never return void. The voice of the Lord is powerful, Paul saying here. It's full of majesty. The voice of the Lord, it breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord, it shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord, it strips the forests bare. And it's so powerful that in Psalm 29, 9, we read that all the temple will cry glory on account of the power of God's word. And it's a mistake to think that God's purposes are dependent upon our fragile human faculties. Even Paul had begun to think that. Even Paul had begun to think that God's purposes must be linked to his human capacity until God showed up to him one day. And he said to him, actually, Paul, my strength is so strong that I can do more through your weakness than I can through your, than through your, through your strength. The kingdom of God is topsy-turvy. God says to Paul, my power is sufficient and it doesn't depend on you at all. The Roman world had thought it was putting an end to Paul. The Roman world had thought that it could snuff him out when the soldiers and that executioner led him down the path of the Austrian way and they put his neck on that rude block or pillar and Paul's neck waited for the stroke of Roman judgment. But God's word isn't bound. And Paul's gospel has continued to crisscross the globe these last 2,000 years. The thing that will grow us as individuals and the thing that will grow us as people, as a church, it's God's word. The thing that will grow Ephesus, where Timothy is experiencing so much difficulty and discouragement, is the word of God. Not methods, not gimmicks, not better advertising, not kind of shaping our message to meet the world. No, it's the word of the gospel that God has set up his son as king upon his holy hill. And everyone who believes in the name of Jesus will be saved. 
And God has also set up his son on his holy hill as a judge. And everyone who spurns and who scorns the name of Jesus will be lost. That's the word of God. And that word, Paul says, it cannot be stopped. It will do its mighty work. And that's why Paul, in our passage today, he says, I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to endure everything for the sake of the elect, the ingathering of God's people, the church of Christ. Why? Because Paul is so confident in the power of the word. The word will do what the word will do in spite of all appearances of weakness. The word of God is not bound. Therefore, says Paul, I endure and I go through all manner of suffering. Secondly, finally, he says to us today and to Timothy, um, um, that we need to preach and believe the entire gospel. I want to look today and close with these verses between 11 and 13. What Paul does here in these verses is that he actually quotes a hymn. Paul is citing a hymn that the early Christian church in its infancy had begun to sing together. And he preserves in this hymn, as he cites it, as uh, Mool notes, he preserves the responsive rhythm of this early worship song. If we died with him, and they respond, we should also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, and they respond, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. It's a beautiful window into the, the liturgy of the apostolic church. Mole writes this, he says, across the long ages, through the profound silence of the past, we seem to catch the music as though those dear Christian voices, they blend in the sacrifice of song. See, the early church did as the Hebrew church had done. They prayed and they sang responsively. But note the content of their singing here. It's about identifying with the death of Christ. And it's about sharing in the glory of the resurrection. It's about suffering for the gospel. And it's about the coming weight of glory. Cross and resurrection. The hymnody of the ancient church was all about the gospel, and it wasn't some cheap gospel. It wasn't some easy believism, it was easy believism. It was all about a gospel that is counting the cost. If we endure, if we suffer, if we die, we shall reign in glory. But notice what else the song does. The hymn is balanced. The first part of the hymn is about faithfulness and reward. The second part is about unbelief and judgment. The hymn does not go faithfulness and reward, unfaithfulness and judgment, and then unfaithfulness and reward anyways, as most would have it read. 
No, it's a perfectly balanced hymn with two equal and consistent affirmations. If we die, we will live. If we endure, we will reign. First part. And notice the second part. If we deny Christ, quoting now Christ's words from Matthew, Christ will deny us. And in the same vein, if we are without faith, Christ, he will remain faithful to who he is, for he cannot deny himself. You see, in the Bible, God's faithfulness is not only faithfulness to mercy, but God's faithfulness is also, as it is here, faithfulness to judgment, faithfulness to justice, faithfulness to wrath. This is perhaps one of the most frequently misquoted and misunderstood verses in the whole Bible. Well, if I'm faithless, God will remain faithful. If I'm faithless, God will be merciful anyways. Now, that may be true of God, certainly was true of Peter, who denied Christ almost to the faith, and he denied, it with swear, denied him with swearing. It was true of Peter, but that's not what this verse is saying. Here, rather, the hymn affirms, as Chrysostom writes, if we believe not that he rose again, Christ is not injured by it. He is faithful and unshaken, whether we say so or not. He will come again to judge whether we believe it or not. It is we who are injured by our unbelief, not him. Or as Calvin comments here, Christ is not like us to swerve from the truth of who he is. And when all unbelievers perish, he will remain faithfully unchanged himself. And so the hymn does this, belief, reward, endurance, reward, suffering, reward, unbelief, judgment. Unbelief, Christ being faithful to himself as judge of those who deny him. And Paul here commands Timothy to remember the whole truth of Jesus Christ. Not only that he is Messiah and the doorway to all the blessings of God, but also Christ as judge and the one who comes to us with his own harrowing words. If you deny me, I will deny you before my Father. I will say to you, depart from me. I never knew you. And many will come in that day, the scripture says, the scripture says many will come and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal the sick in your name? And they will go away with those words in their ears, I never knew you. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the hymnody of the early church. This is how they sang. Now, how many hymns coming out of the 21st century sing about Christ as judge? You know, we used to sing in this way. It's one of the great Anglican hymns. 
of the 18th century. Lo, he comes with clouds descending, once for favored sinners slain. Thousand, thousand saints attending swell the triumphs of his train. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. God appears on earth to reign. The saints looking for him. Faithfulness reward, faithfulness reward. And then the second stanza of Charles Wesley's hymn, Every eye shall now behold him robed in dreadful majesty. Those who set at naught and sold him pierced and nailed him to the tree, deeply wailing, deeply wailing, deeply wailing, shall the true Messiah see. Timothy, remember Jesus. Timothy, the word of God is not bound. Put your trust in it. Timothy, remember the whole gospel. Forgiveness to be received and judgment to be feared and to be avoided. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.